the first book of Corinthians, chapter 15, and reading from verse 35 to 58. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another, and star differs from star in splendor. So we'll so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth, and as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know 
that your labor in the word, in the Lord, is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. Let's begin by praying. Our Father in heaven, we live in a world that can be so confusing, so complicated, and so unsettling. And so I pray tonight that as we look at this wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians, that you would give us a rock, a platform to build our lives on that helps us to make sense of what to expect. And we pray this for your glory. Amen. I am told that in polite company, there are two things you must never mention, religion and politics. Uh, You're much better off sticking with things like the British weather and uh, great British sporting failures Uh, And if all else fails, you can always talk about the royal wedding on Friday. But tonight, we have in front of us one of the greatest taboos of them all. The question, what happens to us when we die? What happens to us when we die? And of course, there are many opinions out there around us. Um, The journalist and prominent atheist Christopher Hitchens, who has himself been recently diagnosed with cancer, has a particular view on what happens after death. For Hitchens, death is the end. There is nothing when you die. That's it. The lights go out. And for Hitchens, he's actually quite glad because for him, eternal life would be eternally boring. And so for him, the key is to make the most of this life in the here and now. Optimize your happiness, optimize your joy. Make decisions that make you happiest for now because that is all there is. That is all we can expect. And I guess people wouldn't be quite as blunt maybe as Hitchens, but I think that is a common view of people around us. Don't think about the future, but live for the here and now. Seek your happiness in the here and now, because this is the best that we can expect. And that might be the view that some of us here tonight have. As Christians, we might know the answers in our heads, but when it comes to the realities, it is so easy to forget the future and to live as if the here and now is all there is. So when it comes to how we spend our money or prioritize our diaries, we are living in the here and now only. As we turn to 1 Corinthians, we find that this amazing book is remarkably contemporary in the issues that it deals with because it seems that in Corinth, some people were saying that the resurrection had already happened. In other words, there is nothing else to look forward to. This life is as good as it gets, and therefore we should live for the here and now. Optimize happiness in the here and now. And in many ways, that echoes the sentiments of Christopher Hitchens. Live for the here and now. In the first um, half of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul 
challenges that view by saying that there is a resurrection to come. There is life after death. And we know that because of Jesus. He is the ultimate proof that there is life beyond death. And now as we come to the second half of this amazing chapter, Paul anticipates a further objection from the Corinthians, and it's there in verse 35. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? In other words, come on, Paul. You can't be serious about this whole resurrection business because we know what happens to a body when someone dies. It goes in the ground and it decomposes. Or we know what happens to someone when they're cremated. Just ashes are left. So come on, Paul, how can these decomposed bodies and ashes be raised at some resurrection that you're claiming will happen? That's the spirit of the, the question there in verse 35. And in what follows, Paul challenges that view of the resurrection and gives us, in exchange, a wonderful snapshot of what we can expect in the future. So Paul writes to, to, to clarify confusion, to open up the minds of the Corinthians. And so I want to look at what Paul has to say under three headings. Paul says, don't be confused about the future. Rather, first of all, understand the nature of the resurrection. Secondly, understand the joy of the resurrection. And thirdly, understand the implication of the resurrection. So, first of all, understand the nature of the resurrection. It's not hard to see how Paul feels about this challenge. Verse 36, how foolish. They've got it all wrong. You see, when Paul talks about a resurrection body, he's not talking about the same physical body we have now. No, there will be a change. There will be a difference. And so Paul goes on to explain the nature of this resurrection body. And he has three, three analogies, three pictures to help us understand the kind of thing that will happen to us when we do die. Um, the first analogy um, is there in verse 37. It, it comes from the world of, of seeds and plants. And Paul says in verse 37, just as a small little brown seed can produce a, a wonderful plant, well, so too can this little earthly body, this little, this little thing, produce in the future a wonderful resurrection body. Yes, there is continuity of a sort. Yes, a particular seed results in a particular flower. But there is also transformation. There is also change to come. That's the first analogy. The second analogy comes um, there in verse 39 from the fact that there are different kinds of bodies. So verse 39, all flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. In other words, as you look around at creation, we see a precedent for variety. There are different kinds of species and bodies and shapes and sizes, which means that it's possible to think that we could have one kind of body now in this earthly existence and a different kind of body at the resurrection. 
Yes, continuity, but yes, difference as well. Different kind of body. And so in verse 44, Paul says, If there is a natural body, a body of this age, there is also a spiritual body, that is, a body of the world to come. And the third picture, um, the third analogy, uh, is there in verse 49. Jesus is our example. So verse 49. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, that's Adam, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven, that is, Jesus, after his resurrection. Jesus is our template, our, our example for what we can expect when we follow him through death and beyond. I remember um, many, many years ago when I, when I first plucked up the courage to start telling people about the gospel. I can remember one person in particular said to me, Pete, it's all speculation. Uh, we have no idea what will happen when we die. We need someone to come back from the dead to tell us, but that's never going to happen. So it's all pure speculation. And I can remember thinking, oh, rubbish. That's a really good point. Um, and, I, and it took me a long time for the penny to drop. That's the whole point. Christians do have someone who has come back from the dead to tell them what to expect. Jesus Christ is our example. He is our proof that there is life after death. And what happens to Jesus shows us the kind of thing that will happen to us. So his body was a physical body after the resurrection. His disciples could recognize him as their Lord and Master. And so too I think that we will recognize each other with our physical bodies after the resurrection. Jesus could eat fish, but he could also pass through walls. He had a, a, a different body, yes, similar, but yes, transformed as well. And so I think we get some idea of the kind of transformation that Paul is talking about for each one of us. Understand the nature of the resurrection. Yes, it will be tangible. Yes, it'll be physical. We won't just be spirits or thoughts or memories. Yes, there'll be a transformation. But yes, there'll be continuity. And I think Paul is saying, realize the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I'm sure many of us have frustrations with our current bodies, whether it's our size or our shape or it's our frailty, or there's something about us that we just don't like, a lack of ability that just gets to us time after time after time, different for each one of us. Well, look at verse 42. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. The best is yet to come for the Christian. We must understand the nature of the resurrection. There is a wonderful future. The kind of future that no amount of Botox treatments or facial creams or healthy living could ever win for us. Every insecurity that we have about us as people, our beings, every frailty, every frustration, in a moment, taken away at the resurrection. 
Paul says, don't be confused. Understand the nature of the resurrection. That's our first point. Secondly, Paul says, understand the joy of the resurrection. I have a friend who loves to read books, but she can't stand reading a new book without going to the final page and reading it first. She can't stand not knowing how it ends. And once she knows that, she can go back and read from the beginning. And if you like, Paul takes us right to the final page straight away and shows us how it all ends in these next few verses. Shows us what to expect. And it is thrilling stuff, isn't it? As you read these verses, Paul talks about a mystery when the trumpet sounds for the final time, a flash in a twinkling, we are raised. Those who are living, those who are dead, raised alike to meet Jesus and be transformed. There is mystery around this. We don't understand how exactly, as Paul says. And yet it is a truly joyful, wonderful picture for us to look forward to, for each one of us. Paul gives us two images to help us understand the, the true joy of the resurrection. Uh, the first one is there in verse 54. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up. Death is the great final enemy for each one of us, isn't it? No amount of uh, eating vegetables or going for runs or being healthy will stop the gray hairs, the, the body slowing down. No matter what we do, eventually we will face death. But at the resurrection, Paul is saying, death is swallowed up. Yes, for a time it feels like defeat, but the ultimate answer is victory. Death is swallowed up. This is not just replacement, not just regaining what was lost. This is victory. This is triumph because after the resurrection, we can never face death again. Our bodies will never die. We will live for eternity. When I was younger, I used to find this thought depressing because I used to sit in church aged six and I used to try to imagine what it would be like to live in the new creation. And the closest I could get to was that it was like church, you know, with all God's people gathered together. But the problem was church was really boring. And I just thought, if this goes on forever, <laughs> we don't know what it'll be like in the new creation, do we? It's a mystery. One thing I do know is that God is eternal. He always has been and always will be. And I do know God is not bored. God is eternally happy, eternally content, eternally joyful. And if God can manage it, I'm sure we'll be okay as well for the rest of eternity. And Paul says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, verse 50. There needs to be a transformation for us to actually be able to understand what lies ahead. And it's, it's like trying to explain to someone who's been born blind what it is like to see. It's, it's almost impossible to convey what that feels like. And I, I speculate, but I just wonder if, if that's what it's like with our new bodies after the resurrection. We, we just can't grasp 
the new faculties, the, the new senses that, that we'll have. But we can trust that it will be joyful. It'll be amazing. Death is swallowed. The second image is there in verse 55. Where, O death, is your sting? The sting is drawn. That's our second image. Vaughan Roberts tells a story about the late evangelist, David Watson. Uh, David was in his house one day working, and he heard a, a cry from the garden. And he ran out and found his daughter being chased by a bee. So he ran over to her and he grabbed her and held her close. And after a moment, she she felt his arms just tense slightly and then relax. And then he said to her, it's okay now. The bee has stung me and I can't sting again. Jesus has taken the sting for us. You see, death will always be daunting. It is a step into the unknown. But what makes death truly horrific is the fact that each one of us is guilty before God. Each one of us deserves God's judgment, God's wrath. And we we know that when we think about our death. And that hangs over us like a cloud. That is why sin is the sting of death. And yet, on the cross, Jesus takes the sting for us, does he not? And at his resurrection, we know that that death has worked. And so we know the sting is drawn. As we face death, yes, it will be daunting. There are unknowns. But we needn't fear death. Because the sting of sin is taken away. And so Paul says in verse 57, Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Understand the joy of the resurrection. Death is swallowed. The sting is drawn. Lastly, understand the implications of the resurrection. Imagine two people. The first person is asked to do a boring, mundane tedious job for one year, and if they do that for one year, at the end, they'll be given 5,000 pounds. You can just sort of imagine the kind of attitude they'd have to those difficult, boring days, can't you? Well, just imagine a second person is told that if they do exactly the same job, the same boring, mundane job for one year, imagine if they're told that they'd be paid Not 5,000 pounds, but 50 million pounds. You can just imagine the difference in attitudes the second person would have to the same job, can you not? You see, the end, what happens at the end, impacts the present. That's Paul's logic in our final verse, verse 58. Therefore, says Paul, therefore, in light of everything I've said about the resurrection... My dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Understand the implications of the resurrection. Our future destiny should impact, should transform our present. What is the work of the Lord? 
we're not told. I take it, it could mean all kinds of things. Our fight against sin. Our uh, endeavors to tell other people about Jesus. Our fellowship with other Christians. Our building of community together. The way we work in the office. How we conduct ourselves. Our attitudes, our ambitions as we serve the Lord. All these things, I take it, are in Paul's mind when he talks about the work of the Lord. And Paul says, because we know the end, because we know what lies ahead of us, because we know the best is yet to come, well, work hard now in the present. Give yourself to the work of the Lord in the present. The word there, uh, fully, in verse 58, could also mean to abound or, or to overflow. I imagine on Friday at the royal wedding, there will be a number of champagne bottles popped at some point in the day. And just imagine the picture of someone pouring a, a, a glass of champagne and, and they're caught out by how fast the, the bubbles flow into the glass and it kind of fills up and cascades over the sides of the glass, bubbling and sparkling in the sunlight. Well, that's the kind of image that Paul has for us and our Christian work. Overflowing, bubbling, um, just cascading, abounding, not just minimal. Paul says, give yourselves fully, abundantly to the work of the Lord. The best is yet to come. We don't need to live for maximizing joy in the present because we have so much to look forward to in the future. I guess there are all kinds of ways that we can be moved from this work. I guess we could, we could focus on the here and now. We could switch off our minds to the future as Christians and just think day in, day out, week in, week, week out, this is all that I have to live for. As we think about our bank accounts or the kind of house we want to buy, or the kind of career we want. It's so easy to think only about the here and now and not about what lies ahead of us. We can be moved in our endeavors to tell our friends about Jesus. We can think that they have so much. They don't need to hear about the gospel that I have to tell them. But when we see what lies ahead of each person, when we see that only Jesus removes the sting of sin from death, then surely we must be those who are bound in the work of telling people about Jesus. Maybe we're fed up with other Christians. Maybe we just can't stand our house group or our disgust group. Maybe just the Christians there just rub us up the wrong way and we're very tempted not to come anymore or we're just tired and it just feels like hard work. But if we realize that the Christians in our group are eternal beings and that the encouragement and the fellowship we give to them has an eternal impact, then that transforms how we view that work of the Lord. And so maybe we would come when we're tired. Maybe we would come when it feels like hard work. Paul says, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Understand the implications of the resurrection. Don't be confused, says Paul. Remember, the best is yet to come. Live now knowing what will happen in the future. May God give us strength to do that. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this astonishing insight into our future. We thank you for the joy that lies ahead of each one of us, for the, for the restoration, the transformation, the hope that we can have. Father, please give us a right view of our presence. Help us to work in your service, knowing our future. May our future transform our presence. And we pray this for your glory. Amen.